All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. How's it going? My guest today is Michael K. Williams. Yeah, fucking Michael K. Williams. Omar from The Wire. Yeah, Omar from The Wire is here. You also know him from Boardwalk Empire, uh, The Night Of. He's in the HBO movie, Bessie. Uh, with uh, Queen Latifah, he's on this uh, the other one, the 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 Lovecraft uh, show. You know a man. It's the dude with the scar on his face. Big fan of his, and he's in this new film, uh, Body Brokers. And I also talked to Melissa Leo on Monday about uh, the movie as well a bit. And it's a it's one of these small movies. It's not going to get a lot of advertising money uh, spent on it. And um, there's not going to be a lot of free publicity on it. But it's worth seeing and it's and it's worth hearing these people who are in it. And I hopefully I can get to to talk to the director as well. But this movie is about the rehab racket. It's about the drug rehab racket on all levels. It doesn't pull any punches. It's got a little bit of snark to it in terms of the narration, which is, seems to be sort of a thing now. Kind of like that the uh, We Care A Lot movie. Uh, but, but the nuts and bolts of it are, are pretty disturbing because there are people given the opportunity, given the window... You know, given, you know, just the room to do it will be corrupt, morally bankrupt, greedy, evil fucks. Almost everybody is an opportunist. Almost everybody is selfish. And when a system breaks down as thoroughly as the system has broken down here over the last four years, even people who think they're good, when they see a window of opportunity to do something a little off or way off, we'll take it if they can rationalize the action. Anyways, I'm, that's another tangent. Maybe I could talk about that because I got a little something stuck in my craw. I don't know. Are there really innately sort of selfless or you know empathetic people? Are most people selfish fucking people? I tend to think so. Like, I'm a cranky bastard. I'm defensive. You know, I seem to be kind of uh, self-centered. But, you know, I spend a lot of time in my head. I spend a lot of time, even when it's not a plague, even when I'm not alone, I find I spend a lot of time in my head. But if you get me out of my head because you need help, if you call me up and you need something and you're a friend or somebody I know and I know you're not trying to take advantage of me, I'll fucking step up. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the guy that's going to run into the burning building to pull the people out or the doggies or the kitties, but, you know, when the guy comes down with the doggies or the kitties or the people, I'll, I'll walk him to the ambulance. I'll, I'll, I'll put a blanket around him and, and walk him to where they need to go to sit down or perhaps, uh, you, you know, help get, give them a bottle of water, you know? I don't know if I'm the guy that's going to step in between a couple of guys fighting, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll hang around and and uh, and say, hey, come on, chill. Look, I'm no saint, but my point is, are there good people? Are there? 
just genuinely good people. Like you think about all these service, these healthcare people, they're, they're tremendously good people. It's their job, but they, they, they do the job of helping. They do the job of healing. Those people are altruistic and, and necessary. And thank God they exist. There are people that put their lives on the line for other people. And yeah, obviously they, everyone's got their problems. But I'm saying I think most people are out for themselves. And I don't think that's just some part of capitalism. I think there seems to be a few different types of people. There's desperate people that need to survive. So they're going to do what's necessary to survive. They have to. And hopefully it doesn't kill them or others. Then there's people that are just shamelessly fucking self-serving. Like, fuck you. I want mine. I get mine. I'll do whatever I have to do to get mine. It doesn't even have to be about survival. Just, you know, fuck you. Get out of my way. I'm taking it. And then there's people that think they're good, yet they're, they, do, they do the same thing. What am I beating around the bush about? I finally know somebody. Look, I'm sure there's plenty of, you know, people I know, rich people, people of, uh, in positions of power that have jumped the line to get the vaccine. And the real question is, like, if you had the opportunity, if I had the opportunity, you know, would I go get the vaccine? Probably. Am I seeking that opportunity out? No. If someone said to me, like, dude, I got some vaccine in my truck. Come here. You want vaccine? 50 bucks. I'll, I'll shoot you up right now. I'll not, we can knock it out, dude. 50 bucks. I got a cooler in the truck. I probably wouldn't do that. You know, am I going to hang around a parking lot of a clinic for leftover ones? No. It's happening. So I'm going to wait till my healthcare provider or to my Walgreens makes it available to me. It's a drag. And I know there are line jumpers, but the, the truth is, is that even if you think you're a good person, where's the virtue in waiting your turn if you don't have to? Right? I mean, if you had the choice or if you wanted to make it your goal, like I'm tired of this shit. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to go find me a fucking shot of vaccine on the level, on the up and up, but knowing that it really isn't on the up and up. Because, you know, it's not your turn. What do the virtuous get? You know, last in line, COVID. They could die, I guess. But they'll die knowing that they didn't fucking jump the line. But there's no difference between the good people who think they're good and do the shitty thing and the people that are shamelessly shitty. The only difference between those people is the good people pay lip service to feeling bad about it or guilty, but they still did the same thing. You don't feel bad. Just be honest. I mean, people who, who jump lines or cheat or steal, but they're, you know, innately good people that have somehow rationalized their behavior primarily because they, they worked hard to figure out how to do it. Or they took advantage of their place in the world to get special treatment. And they're like, yeah, I feel a little guilty. No, you don't. You don't feel bad. You feel glad. Just shut up. Don't tell anybody if you cheated or if you jumped the line. Just keep it to yourself or just say, fuck you. I figured it out and I got it. That's what you did. That's who you are. You're not like, oh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have, but, you know, I just... Shut up! You fucking put your mind to it, and you figured out a way 
to jump the line or get it. But don't don't play games. Don't like, uh, you know, I feel bad. No, you don't. People are selfish. It's like, what do you feel like? Hey, you know, it's like, I'm sorry I started that fire, you, you know, but, uh, but, you know, we had a nice, it was a nice picnic. I mean, I feel bad about the fire that burned all those land and killed those horses. But, you know, we those were good hot dogs. Hey, it's really sad, man, that, you know, the neighbor's house burnt down because of our barbecue. But, you know, but, you know, we had a good time and, you know, I didn't really like, I don't really know them and, you know, they're gone now. I mean, it's sad, but uh, I feel bad about it. But, you know, it, you know, we had a nice cookout. Spare me. Why am I so worked up? I know why. Because I'm not trying to cheat to get my fucking vaccine and I want it so I can feel better. I'm tired of it too. But this is what waiting online sounds like. Fuck these people. Cut the fuck. What about me? Come here, buddy. I got got a cooler in the truck. I'm sitting on four Moderna. You like Moderna? You want the Pfizer? I got the Pfizer. Whatever you want, buddy. Just come over to the truck, man. I got it in the cooler. You want Pfizer? Got the J&J coming next week. What do you need, bro? 100 bucks. You got 200 bucks cash? I'll lay the Moderna on you right now. I'll give you the second shot. You put it in your freezer. Just keep it for yourself. I'll give you the works. I'll give you everything. I'll give you the full kit. 200 bucks. Come on, man. I got it in the truck. You want the Fize? I got the Fizey. You want the Fizey? You want the Moderna? Fizey, one shot of work, two shots guaranteed. J&J, that shit's going for a little more, a little pricier. 500, man. I got it right now. You want it? You want the rig? I'll give you the full works. 500 for J&J. So this movie, Body Brokers, is a good movie. It's available to buy or rent on demand on platforms like iTunes, Prime Video, and more. Body Brokers is the name of the movie. Michael K. Williams is my guest. You you also know him as Omar from The Wire. That that was the 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 big breakout. Boardwalk Empire, uh, Lovecraft Country, The Night of Bessie. He was in Bessie HBO. But anyways, I was nervous because I didn't know what he would be like. But man, we had a nice time and we had a nice chat. This is me talking to the amazing Michael K. Williams. <laughs> at right now i'm in new york man brooklyn bk is it uh is the snow still there yeah you know some snow on the ground it's winter so we do here you know what i mean <laughs> i know i lived there for a long time i lived on the lower east side and over on 16th street i got no seasons yes. out here yeah uh, were you are you in cali now i'm in california and it's just a, a little chilly that's our winter it's a little chilly yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not too bad. There's some part about having nothing to do that's not that terrible. Man, you come on with it. You better talk that talk. <laughs> I mean, I know it's like it gets a little crazy, but it, on another level, it's like, hey, if nobody else is doing anything, fuck it. I'm okay. You're going to have to be. What's because the alternative sucks. You know what I mean? It's like, bad. You're going to have to be okay, man, and get some type of grounding. Did you get it or no? You know, I got a little a little scare. Um. Someone in my family 
they went down, they had to be hospitalized and I was oh. in contact with them. Um, so, you know, um, I quarantined, uh, yeah. for the 14 days yeah. and, you know, I, there was a point where, you know, I was like, I don't smell nothing. And, you know, and the taste got a little, a little, um, you know, I was like, damn, I, I, you know, cause I cook, right. So I made a pot of curry and yeah. I was like, damn, now I know I could taste my curry. And yeah. I was like, okay, maybe I am. A, so I have no, some symptoms, but you know, grace of God, man, I didn't have to be hospitalized, no temperatures, no problems breathing. Um, it's when oh, I just good. quarantine. Yeah. So, oh, but so you, you, you did, you tested, you got it, you got it. And you just got it minor. Yes. Yes. Sir. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You got lucky. It's fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I consider myself blessed today, man. You know, one, I, I got good genes, you know, um, you know, my, I got, I came from really good genes physically and, um, you know, over the summer, man, you know, like you spoke about with the, with, Everybody else ain't doing nothing. So I had to find something to do because um, nothing for me is not an option. You know, I don't mind double workshop. I'm, I'm sure. that dude. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I found uh, I found physical fitness this summer, but not for the sake of muscles. You know, I got real got real familiar with cardio and calisthenics yeah. and stretching and breathing. Yeah. Simple shit. And I, I truly believe, man, that because um, I put that as in my program and my daily routine, that it gave me a leg to stand on to fight that motherfucker back a little bit, that that shit, and it didn't knock me down. I mean, yeah. I'm no doctor. That's just my little take on it. That's I, I, what I chose to believe that, you know, um, they, they we are so conditioned to run from this thing that, you know, I think sometimes we need to also remember that we have everything in our bodies to kind of, to at least arm it to fight back. Like, we got a gun in our body. It's called a, an immune system. And we yeah. put some bullets in that motherfucker. We yeah. might just slay the giant. We don't yeah. know until we fight back. So that's you know, I just that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Hold on one second. Don't don't hang on. Hold on one second. I'm not gonna hang up. <laughs> I, I'm I'm had my little lunch on the on the on the stove and I smelled this and it's turning shit off. All right, oh. So what's up, man? Talk to me, Mark. Yeah. Well, uh yeah, I mean I've been doing that too. You do uh, do you meditate? Yeah, yeah, you not do. as much as I used to. I'm one of those people like, damn, you know, meditating is so hard. I'm like, damn, Mike, you mean sitting down, not saying shit, turning up your brain, closing your eyes. That's hard. Like, really? Like, <laughs> you got you got to do it first thing. It's only hard if you've been doing other shit. If you had a bunch of coffee, <laughs> you've already eaten. You know what I mean? You, coffee. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, whatever. You, you, you've already on the computer. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I got to sit down and shut it off. Right when you get out of bed, just do it. That's what I've been doing. I just started a couple months ago. You know what? I received that, brother. Thank you. That's the trick because, yeah. you know, I wait till I, I, you know, by the time I remember to do it, I've already done a few things in the morning. Yeah. And it, your brain's it, on it, fire. Yeah. It can't. It's, yeah. That's what the trick. Do it first thing in the morning before my feet even leave the bed. Right. I got the mat on the floor. I got, you know, like I, I just see it on the floor and I get up and I do a yoga a little bit and then I sit with the. The guy, the English guy on the app, the Headspace app, and he he talks me through it. He's annoying, but you know, talks me through it. You know what? I'm gonna take that suggestion, bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, the next time I see you, I'm gonna be like, thank you. And this is about I probably you gave me two things. One, do it first thing in the morning, and I got a yoga mat here that I never use. But if I lay it out in my room, in my yeah. bedroom by my bed, and if I th if I see it, it'll jar my memory. That's yeah. a great. That's a great idea, man. I'm gonna try that shit, bro. Thank yeah, you. just get up and do it. Like I also, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan, and I uh, I watched the new movie 
the body brokers. And uh, I, you know, look, I'm a sober dude, you know, and I like I know that world a little bit. And then you know, as it reveals itself, it's sort of like it's insane and heartbreaking and uh, and informative. I really liked the movie, and I thought that you did a great job with it, man. Oh man, thank you. You know, and um, for, you know, first of all, this was it was a, this was a passion project for me because um, I share your story. You know, I'm in the club as well too. Really, um, yeah. And, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, and um, you know, anybody that that's heard me speak before, I'm not, I'm not shy about it. You know, relapse is the part me of neither. my, my yeah. story, and you know, but uh, I'm living good today. You know, I guess all we got is today. But this film, you know, jails, drugs, jails, um, institutions, institutions death, death, right? Yeah, right. So, so, um, yeah, I've had my fair share of institutions. I, you know, thank God I haven't gone to jail yet, and obviously I'm still here, but I've had my fair share with institutions and. You know, I feel what you said was this this film, the narrative of this film was extremely disturbing, extremely disturbing. And I was like, I did almost like, well, like, what do we do with that? Like, that's are you kidding me? So when you when you first read the script uh, by uh, John Swab, is that his name? Yeah, John Swab, man. Great guy. He's the writer and the director. Yeah, because I I know guys that work in that industry. But my buddy Mike, he came over yesterday to talk a little bit because I told him about the movie. And he's like uh, when he works with in in rehabs and he had to quit two jobs, you know, because they were corrupt and he didn't feel comfortable. Right. So my my thing was, you know, when, when you read that script as a sober guy, you know, you realize you must have realized, like, you know, I got to do this. People have to know this. Right. But then the character too, like that character, he's not only a guy who's not quite sober and playing that part, but this is a, it's a movie about people rationalizing, you know, compartmentalizing things that makes them kind of evil. Right. Yes. You hit it right on the head. <laughs> you know, um, you know, as we all, as you and I, we both know, um, yeah, being sober doesn't take away the craziness. You know, there's a lot of crazy motherfuckers <laughs> in this program. You know, me included. Right? I, I so, call them, I call them uh, demons in exile. There you go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and you know, and and to to me, Wood was a perfect example of that. Yeah. You, you know, um, you, you know, um, <laughs> right, right, I'm sober, but I can still do cocaine. <laughs> You know, but and, and even I'm sober, but I can still, you know, use people. Right. You know, I'm selling drugs. Yeah. You, you know, that was even more profound, you know, because for me, this film, it spoke about the insanity. And like people think that. Well, I assume that sometimes people think that drugs are the problem. Mm-hmm. Drugs are the symptom of a pro- of the problem. You, you know, we. You know, once we put the drugs down, that's when the work begins. We got to clean up this house, all yes. this garbage, right? Yeah. And so, because it manifests in other ways in our life, poor decision making, you know, and, and poor characteristic traits, right? And yeah. so, Wood was a perfect example and an opportunity for me to show that side of of what a recovering addict looks like. It's not all roses and. Once you put the drug down, it's happily ever after and life is going to be great. No, there's a lot of stinking thinking that we need to get rid of and bad, bad habits and bad thought processes. And what is the example of that? But I'll tell you, the redeeming moment for me with Wood. In the car. When he re- yes, the car scene. And when he apologized, he apologized. He made amends, man. And 
that was that was that redeeming quality in him that made me fall in love with the character on a whole nother level. That that acting to where, you know, you drop into the heart of that guy that's actually tormented and not the guy that justifies his behavior. That was a great turn there. And you can feel like those choices, man. Man, I, you know, and I just want to take the time, this time to also say, you know, uh, you know, um, I, I wasn't in that scene alone, obviously. Um, man, I just got to tell you, Jack Kilmer, when he bought the, the, um, the honesty, the vulnerability that he brought to that character, man. Yeah. Him and Alice, they are they are like I'm obsessed with them. They, I can't <laughs> take my eyes off of them, man, in this film. <laughs> but with but with Jack bought in that in that in that scene in that car, yeah, you know that level of loyalty that he had, that the way he looked up, it would he brought so much to the to the dynamic, man. I couldn't have I couldn't have reached where I needed to be had it not been for what he brought to the table that's That's interesting it was it was yeah he was great and it was definitely that contrast of like you know that moment where he says like you know people have been talking to me like that my whole life you know and you really come on bro (laughs) come on bro validation he saw wood he he he, it was like that was like a meeting in the car right yeah right man that scene was it meant a lot to me and he brought up so much to it bro him as as with his instrument, he brought so much to the, to the character. He made it. He made it very easy for me. Yeah, very easy. Yeah, man. Well, I got a question because I get asked it too. Because when I was the, when I did the show Glow, my character does blow. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah, I've been sober. You know, twenty two years something. And people always ask me like, "Was that hard?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't. Know. I didn't even think about it. What was it like for you to be around drugs?" You know, um, in the film, uh, um body brokers ironically uh wood didn't trigger me because of the decision that i made as to where he was in his recovery when he was sniffing that coke at that pool party yeah i i'll, I'll tell you who did who did trip me the fuck up was freddie knight on the night of when he was sniffing dope and 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 the reasons why the escapism um that oh, yeah, was yeah, very yeah. that was very familiar to 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 my to my journey to my to my my, my struggle with this this disease man oh, when and you were when you were in jail yeah it's called the night of and um, yeah no i saw it name was freddie, yeah yeah freddie freddie knight triggered the hell out of me man he woke up he was rubbing that genie bottle like a motherfucker <laughs> i was like <laughs> no no <laughs> you back in <laughs> but, uh, um, um, yeah you know i don't know what would that night, you know, I believed Wood when he said, "Man, yeah, you know, you know, um, it was more about you know the chicks being in yeah. the moment." You yeah. know, I don't think that he was um, that he was in a relapsed state of mind. Although you know, technically he he did read, he did get high, right? I don't think that it was that. I think he was just in the moment, and because he said it, you know, the chicks, these dumb chicks bought this shit over here, blah 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 blah, blah you know, right. whatever. You know, right. Freddie was in a different space. That, that you know, I don't know how to do drugs recreation and just for the moment. I know how to no, I, I know how to numb numb the right. pain. He did it to cope. I, yeah, cope. I that's what I did it for. And that tripped me up. Right, man. So like where now, when did you start where do you think it started with you? Where'd you I mean, where'd you grow up? Oh, I grew up in Brooklyn, man. I, I grew up in East Lapwich, Brooklyn, in a little little project called the Vanderveer. 
the Vanderbilt states and you know um you know like i said it ain't about the the, the drug the drug is the symptom of the problem but i started coping very early and um you know i became an actor very early i would say by the age nine i was completely addicted to fantasy like nothing about my life did i want you know so um like how you know, like how did that manifest itself like what kind of fantasies you what were you into i mean you, you know um um being something i wasn't yeah. you know like for instance uh my community you know is a western and caribbean community heavily that you know that's you know we call the notion avenue little haiti and on from is that where your folks are from no, my mother's from the Bahamas, actually, oh, okay. and my and my father's from the South, which is so you had half of the community that was West Indian Caribbean, and then you had the other half that was Black American, yeah. and there was a clash of cultures, like in the in the mid to late seventies to the eighties, and you 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 had to pick one. You were either a lazy welfare recipient Yankee, yeah. or, or you were a high high water wearing banana boat driving coconut yeah those were your options and my mother being from the caribbean and my father being from the south you know um and me having a huge need to fit in yeah. right and it's low self-esteem i i you know i started like you know um i lost my identity very quickly very young trying to fit in to to, to be to be liked to be accepted to go under the radar so nobody would i didn't want to ever be singled out and yeah so, you know, the disconnect from getting to know who Michael was yeah. that started at a very early age and the ability to to chameleon myself yeah. to fit whatever I thought you needed to see to get in with you, yeah. that also started very early. So I, that's what I mean when I say I, I got addicted to fantasy very quick. Well, you get addicted young. to, like, I have that problem too. Like, you know, by the end of this conversation, I'll probably be talking exactly like you. Um <laughs> <laughs> I just have that thing where I feel like I'm a whole person, but you know, when I get around stronger personalities, you just kind of like, I'll just live in that guy's skin for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my, and of course I became an actor, right? Like great, great job for someone like me. But you know, I, I nearly, you know, like drove myself crazy, man. But, um, you, you know, um, you, you know, again, wood was an opportunity to to explore all those different things you know um because I, I believe in some form of fashion we're all addicts you know um yeah it's our, our the econ the the economy of this country is built on it thank it you it requires you, which us is what the movie talk it requires us which is what the film talks about yeah you know, it, it, it manifests in in food uh, yeah food disorders sexual disorders shopping yeah. disorders relationship with it, you know, you're being being codependent, you know, yeah. being emotionally manipulative. That shit seeps out in so many different you just, characteristics, you just, human personality. That's my daily schedule you just read off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear you speak one day, bro. Real talk. <laughs> so you like to cook. You're cooking back there. Did you grow yeah. up like... Because I, I always assume that, you know, people from the Caribbean, I, I always think about food, <laughs> you know, like, it, it, like the, the, so it must have been, at least you had a, an interesting confluence of culture there in the food department, huh? Absolutely. You know, um, and I'm, I'm a foodie, you know, uh, I, I don't eat to live. I live to, uh, I, I, I live to eat. You yeah. feel me? And, yeah. and um, 
I just uh, I love everything about food, not just the eating process. I love the preparation. Like, you know, um, you know, in my mind, Rachel Ray is like one of my best fucking friends. You know, I'll sit here and I'll watch a segment and, she, you know, the way she the way, you know, and butter. Yeah. Some of that. Oh, look at that. You know, yeah, she just yeah. makes my mouth water when she cooks. <laughs> I share her passion for food. It's like it's bananas. And then what I'll do is, you know, I'll challenge myself. I'll like, you know, I I won't go to the website and look at the recipe. Yeah. I have I have a four, you know, I could look at what she's doing that day. Now I know the basics of what she uh, she has a, a basic like template that she works for, you know, garlic, olive oil, little salt and pepper, the yeah. you know, there's some and I so we got the same foundation and I just kind of, you know, you know. I may do, I may put a little twist on it or change something up here. I may even fuck it up. Who knows? But I just love, I love the prepping of food. I love, you know, trying new things. And Lord, do I love feeding people. I love when call people over, man, let's break bread. Man, my people, my family, my friends. Right, and then you, you serve everybody, and then you have that minute where you're like, so? So, hey, how, <laughs> <laughs> how good am I? I'm great, right? It's great, right? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I did that. I did that. Pretty fucking good, right? <laughs> I just love to see people eat, man. I just, Me too. You know. I'm the, I like I do. I and also it's a great way to occupy the time, man. I've been smoking fish. I've been like I'm a Jew, so I've been trying to figure out how to smoke the fish like the old Jews. And I got this yes. smoker out there, so I'm fucking prepping. I'm brining. I'm smoking fish. Yesterday, I I spent an hour trying to figure out how to make perfect baba ganoush. And then like you know you. You spend like three hours doing this shit. Like, you know, smoking fish takes hours and then I'll eat it in 30 seconds. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'll, I'll put, I'll put hours into prep and then I'll just plow through it. If I'm alone and I make something, I'll eat it oh in 50, you know, 25 That's, seconds. You're, you're two for two. The yoga mat and doing, yeah. doing meditating in the morning. I'm going to find out how to smoke some fucking fish. You got a smoker? I'm gonna, no, I'm going to get one. Cause I know I've heard about this process before. I just, I you know I'm going to, <laughs> I'm gonna get the smoker and I'm gonna get, uh, go to air fryer. Those two things I want to get. I oh try yeah, but the smoker. Ooh. Oh yeah, I heard about the air fryer. Everyone's yeah, talking about the, the air smoker. Fryer. The yeah, smoker. they get they they gave it to me. The Traeger grill. They they gave me the smoker. The wood pellets. You got a yard to put it in. Yeah, I got a got a little. I got a little outdoor space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, throw it up put there. It, I, yeah, I mean, I've been yeah, I've been smoking the fish and like I love to cook and, and I'll do it by myself. Keeps me sane. It's the same thing yes, you were does. talking about with the you know, I just got to be careful. Like I got like if I get off on like I made a pie. Like I made like if I eat <laughs> if I if I fucking make a pie, dude, I'm fucked for weeks. You know, then I'm I'm making cakes. Talk it's, about putting the pie in the pie hole, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I stay away from it. Yeah, my family, we were more pecan pie. Oh, pecan shit. Pie Have you ever made potatoes. that? Those are the, never, but I, I will eat about three pies by myself. I promise you that. If pecan. It's, pecan a, it's the or, best. Or sweet potato. Yeah, yeah. I'll put sweet, that in front of me. I eat sweet potatoes all the time. Just yeah. I just have them for a snack. That's what I yeah. do. And I drink a pot of coffee. This is how I manage my addiction, Mike. Fucking, you know, just like, like if there's ever a spare minute, I'm thinking about, all right, what can I eat? What What do we got? Ain't nothing. Listen, bro, you ain't hurt nobody. I mean, I, right. like I said, I, I love food. You know what I mean? And, and and you know, I try to keep it. You know, I'm not a health nut in the sense where you know I don't eat this, I don't eat that. Yeah, I don't care if I want if I want a good juicy greasy cheeseburger. That's what I'm going to eat. You know, I'm not doing that every day. 
I'm gonna uh. definitely make sure I use it in my in my in my regiment. But um um Yeah, it's good. Yeah, enjoy yourself. Try to enjoy it. the alternative. We gotta enjoy life, man. We yeah, gotta yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think about the other shit at all anymore. So when did you like start really doing the acting? I mean, when did you start doing it? Like when did you decide it was your life? I mean, was it one of those things where you're like, you gotta save your life with something? You know, uh, the wire, you know, so before the wire, um, you know, I, was, I used to be a background dancer, you know, mostly house acts, you know, Crystal Waters, Technotronics, um, things like that. You were a dancer? Like that. Yeah, man, I danced for like seven years, man. And Self-taught? Then, uh, yeah, you know, street, street dancer. You know, oh, I, used, okay. I used to watch the Janet Jackson videos. That's how I learned how to catch choreography. Then I started going public and I would try to do the, the dance. And they'd be like, "You're going the wrong way," because I would learn off the freaking TV, right? That's oh, funny. Oh. So it's a, it's a Rachel Ray and Janet Jackson. These are the keys to your existence. You're damn right. <laughs> so, so of 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 around in 90, 97, 1998. Um, well, my first film I ever did was a, a film called Bullet. Uh, Tupac Shakur, the late great Tupac Shakur. He he had saw a picture of Paul Rudd of me, and he saw that I had this scar on my face, and he was like, "Oh." He told Julian Temple, the director, let's let's find this guy and audition him. And that was the first thing I'd ever done. The scar um, got you the job. Basically, yes, it did. What was that fight about that got you that scar? Real simple in a couple of sentences. 25th birthday, pissy drunk, ballroom brawl. Nothing special. And I, you know, except the fact that I almost lost my life uh, that day, that night. But um Who yeah, started I, you know, I had it? that I you, you know. There was a situation. Well, I technically I, I started it. You know, uh-huh. I was drunk. I had the liquid courage in me, and I saw a situation with someone that I had known at the time. Yeah, and it had nothing to do with me, and I stuck my nose in someone else's business. But in my drunk mind, I was being loyal. Like you know, I'm not going to watch you get jumped. So, yeah. and I was, you know, and so I was, you know, pumping my chest out due to the alcohol, and I I was in that zone. And when that situation de-escalated, those dudes that were were co- having a confrontation with the person that I knew, they turned their attention on me and the rest is history. So the second thing that I did was um, this movie called Mugshot, um, you know, and it was with uh, Matt Mahern from New York City. Uh, and, you know, it was, a, it was an independent film, but it, I went from being just like a Tupac's little brother to my second thing was a lead role in this independent film. Yeah. So, you know, I was starting to get a little, you know, like starting to think this could happen. And then, you know, you know, you know Dick Wolf, he had all of, all of his projects, you know, New York Undercover, yeah. uh, uh, Law and Orders. That, 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 was, that was essential for young New York City actors at the time. And I started booking those things, those things. And then um, the phone just went dead. 1999 rolls around. With the, with the Dick Wolf stuff, though, were they, they, did you feel like uh, you were being typecast? You, hell no. I just, I never, <laughs> you know, I ne- I still to this day don't, I don't acknowledge typecast, you, you know, um, newsflash, you know, I don't get to assimilate into other cultures very much. You know, I'm a black man and I tell the black experience, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, um, I'm from the hood. Yeah. And I know for a fact I got I have I have a front seat view with how people end up in the situations that they end up. No one wakes up one morning and says, I got it. I'm going to be a successful, you know, uh, a crack dealer on the corner. I'm going to be a successful thug that robs people. I'm going to be a successful thing. 
No one wakes up and says, I'm going to be a successful anything that gets them in jail. They right. do that out of a series, uh, out of a, a, a out of a desperation and a feeling that they have no other options, right? And I've watched that happen so many times to people that I call my brothers, my family members, and my community. And when I started becoming an actor and people were in Hollywood was looking to me to portray these stories, I immediately wore that as a badge of honor. Right. I was like, these, this is my community. These are my people. I know these people. I'm going to do, do everything in my possible to make sure that people who don't know this lifestyle, who don't know this community, will leave from the story feeling empathy and having some sort of compassion and some sort of understanding. Not saying you got to agree, but those three things, I made it my responsibility to leave the audience with those three things. Well, that's interesting. So, so your, your point of view was that like, you know, instead of looking at me as somebody who is pigeonholed by this type of role, you, you say like, yeah, but these are real people who I know, and this is part of the experience and I'm going to depict it with honesty and authenticity, you know, and these characters are going to, are going to be alive. This isn't, I'm not playing a a caricature. This isn't a, a, a puppet here, you know, so you won't. So I imagine that when you you look at a script, you think in terms of like, you know, how how deep is this fucker? You know, like, is this a real thing or is are you selling this guy short? I don't have to even wonder. I can read the first 20 pages and know you bullshitting as a writer. Right. I don't have to even. It's nothing to wonder about the, what I start. What I go in the script looking for is how do I identify? That's mm. what I go looking for. OK, Mike, how do you? How do you, how do you identify with this character? Because yeah. I know if if you really saying you you writing a story about my community, I'm going to find somewhere along this man's life, I'm going to have a parallel with him. So I go in looking for that, and I can tell you ain't no, you don't know what the fuck you talk about within the first twenty pages. And where'd you learn the craft? Where'd you study the acting? Uh, I studied. Well, I'm, I was again New York City man, no city sure, like man. in the world, yeah. and I was blessed to be introduced to the. Uh, the off-Broadway theater world of New York City. Um, my first play that I did was at a theater on the Lower East Side called the La Mama. I know that place. Theater under yeah. Ellen Stewart. I was actually, um, God bless her soul, man. I was the last play that she produced and directed and writ- wrote. I was in that. It was a, um, a, a city opera and it was called Tancredi and Armenia. And it was about the war of the cultures in, in that part of the world, Middle East. And then um, I, I studied there for about a year or two. And then I left and went to Harlem. And I, I studied under the late, great Tunde Samuels. And he worked out of the National Black Theater, as we call it, NBT. And um, uh, there was a, a young writer, a director. Her name is um, Judy Shepard King. And she had written this play called Endangered Species. And I got a part in that. And... Um, then thirdly, uh, my good friend and brother, uh, Ray Thomas, or a lot too, he bought his, he's from Philadelphia, shout out to Philly. And he bought his mentor and his theater company to New York City. Every Saturday, these men would either get on the train or they would, they would pile up in cars and they would come to New York every Saturday and they would teach. And Mel, Mel Williams, he's the director of the company and it's called Theater for a New Generation. Every Saturday, man, we would come and we would have class either at the producers club or anyone, any little hole, any little black black box in New York City, man. And we would um uh from twelve to three, 
we would have a theater a theater company, theater class. And then, you know, it would be a 10-week course that he would do. And then around the fourth or fifth week, he would start giving out, he would he would break us up into groups, into into uh partners, and he would give us scenes like yeah. from a classic plays like uh Streetcar Named Desire, Ceremonies and Dark Old Men. He has a like a, a litany of classic plays. He would take scenes and he yeah. would give he would give us did the different groups scenes and at the end of the 10th week the last two weeks he put us on stage he, we would put it up there and it would call it he called it the theater night would be called the night of scenes and uh, we'd sell tickets and get people to come in and i did that for years man and then i took that and took that into the uh to the audition process man in hollywood and i started to book but then like i was saying earlier man the phones went dead like around 99 yeah and, um i couldn't i couldn't get a gig and so, you know, my mom, God bless her, man, she she retired and she decided that, you know, sitting down wasn't for her. And she opened up a daycare in the projects where we live. And by 2001, she was she was blossoming, like, you know, 70 something, 70 year old woman with no education, like <laughs> like like, you know, really doing it. And so what the again, daycare center got popular, it got popular, man. And at, at, at her highlight. The kids, we kept them, we took them from one to five years old. So when they left us, they went to first grade. She, the, the, the kids that were leaving our daycare were on such, were at were performing academically on such a high rate. We were the number one in the community in Flatbush. We were co- you, coming you out were of. teaching? No, 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 no. You know, after, like I was saying, when I couldn't get, when I start, I stopped booking. Yeah. And at in 2000, my mom took all of us to the Bahamas where she's from because, you know, that was the, all the, the end of the world. The, the 2K was coming. Yeah. The end of the world. The sky's going to fall. The sky's going to fall. You know, yeah. and um, my mom was like, yo, we going out. I want all my family together. We going home and we going to rock out. <laughs> and so at the New Year's dinner party, yeah. she goes, she she said she offered me a job at the daycare because, you know, I was borrowing money to pay my rent from her, you know, every friggin' month. And she said, you know, might as well come work for me, you know. You know, I'm paying your rent. You might as well earn the money. So I was like, "Yeah, ma, you know, not not, not a bad idea. Things could be a lot worse. We got a family business in the community. Why not?" So I did that for all of uh of 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 uh, 2000, and and then and into 2001, she gave me a desk, and I started. I coined myself her administrative assistant because she old school. She had everything on in ledger books, so yeah. you know. I put it, I computerized everything for, you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, um, um, she gave me something to do. So, so, um, all, I did that all of 2000 and then all of 2001. And as you know, by September, um, you know, 9-11, 2001, yeah. that happened. And, um, I slipped into a, a, um, it was dark. It got real dark, uh, for me, you know, um, I stood on my building and I saw the second plane hit with my naked eye, like, me and my cousin, we watched the buildings drop, you know, and for like two weeks after that happened, like the wind given on any given Sunday, and depending on which way the wind would shift, I could smell um, the burning flesh still in the air. Yeah, that it, it, it was it like me up bad, bro. I was in Astoria. I watched the same thing in Astoria from my roof, and you yes, know, sir. and yeah, and yes, then sir. you that metal smell, burning smell. It man. lasted for weeks. It, weeks. it was also the flesh. Yeah, flesh, yeah. yeah I, that's what I, I know what burning flesh smells like, man. I just like, this is... So anyway, needless to say, I relapsed. <laughs> 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 let's, let's get that out there. <laughs> so so um, um, 
So, you know, what I was your thing, man? Cocaine, man. Mm. You know what I mean? Coke mm. and alcohol. Yeah. So um, I relapsed and um, I struggled for all of uh, 2001. I mean, for all, for, for most of 2000, you know, after 9-11. And yeah. um, on October, I was sitting in my apartment with my cousin and one of my homeboys, man. And, um, you know, we was, doing, we was getting high and the setting would be you turn the TV on, but you mute it. And then you blast the music, sure. right? And that's get everything how, that's going. How that's, yeah, yeah, that's how, that's how you do it, right? So, um, and then you're talking. The you're talking too. Yeah, we're talking shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, I think we, I think we're playing chess. You know, I get how I play chess, right? Talk shit. You know. So the TV was on, and I had it on HBO, Mark, and I looked at the screen, and it was an episode of Sopranos that I was in. So I looked up, I was like, I had this like, like out of body experience. I was like, what the fuck? I said, and I looked what I was doing. I said, man, there's something wrong with this picture. And so um, I asked my moms, man, I said, your mom, I said, um, I, I said, I don't know if I could do this no more. I said, I got this. I said, I feel like I should give this, this Hollywood shit one more shot. And she said, what you need? I said, I need you to lend me some money because I, I got to reinvent my package because I've been off the scene for two years and now they I think they doing this new thing called a reel. You gotta put a reel together and I yeah. gotta do new headshots, blah, 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 blah. So I gotta hire people, Ma. And she said, All right, she lent me the money. And this was in late October, early November. I did everything and then you didn't I spend it on out. drugs. That's good. Not all of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey, y'all, keep it real, right? Yeah. Not all of it. Yeah. But um, um, I got what I needed to get done. And then yeah. I gave them out. I had a hit list of 10 names of people who I knew in the business that if I had any shot, it would I, I could get it from them. And, you know, Queen Latifah and Shaquem Kapoor, Jimmy Roseman, uh, Jackie Brown Carmen. I remember it was 10 names. And I sent out the real, the new package. And I said, you know what? It's Christmas. And they're going to look at it. They're gonna see that I'm back on the block, and I'm my phone's gonna be ring off the hook. Give it the second, third week in January. It's gonna be major, right? <laughs> and here, here we are, February. Ain't nothing happening. And my mom was like, "Where the fuck did you? What did you do with my money?" Yeah. And I was like, "Oh man, so um, you know, I I slipped into a depression, man. You know, like for real, for real. Like I, you know, I had to go see a doctor, and he he prescribed me like Paxil." And yeah. I'm sitting there smoking weed and taking packs and wondering why I don't feel better, right? Like, what the fuck? And um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. that was in February. And then in March, my mother called me, man. She's like, yo, come downstairs. There's a fax for you. A fax. And I went and I got the fax. And you know what it was, Mark? It was David it was Simon. Breakdown. Yes, it was. It was. It actually was Alexa Fogel. Uh -huh. And it was the breakdown for Omar Devon Little. And that's when I knew this is real. This is real. Like I got this, this is it. I knew they offered it to that, you. Well, no, I had to audition. Yeah. I had to audition. But once I got it, I'm saying, you know, I, I went in her office. She auditioned me. I think three days later, she called me telling me to um be on the, 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 the next Amtrak and report to Baltimore. Like I was on the set for like a week before I even met David. Like I, I had to like jump right in head, head first. And, I never looked back, bro. Thank God you've done the research. Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you joke, but that's that's um that's for real. 
Yeah. I poured a lot of my pain in, into the character of Omar, man. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a it, it's a great character. It was one of the you know the best characters that whole thing. I mean, I remember like I didn't watch it in real time. I watched it all at once. So like I I watched it a couple years after the fact, but I was in New York and I was doing a radio gig and I just would watch three or four episodes a day like I was on drugs, man. It was like The Wire was my drug. I would binge. I would do like four or five episodes a day and I'd feel fucked up <laughs> after but but your character was like every time Omar came on, you're like, ah, there's fucking Omar, man. You're yeah, always you happy. The, I'm, I'm gonna tell you a secret though. Yeah. You want to know what the best character on that show was, hands down? Yeah. It was the city of Baltimore. Yes. I promise you, it, like that city permeates. It, it it it. I can't. You had to be on those streets, like you know. We shot a lot of location. Yeah. Why it wasn't it wasn't a uh a, a you know a cushy set type of a gig. We were we was in them streets, bro. And I got to know the people. I got to see the culture. I got to feel the streets. Yeah. You know. And when I tell you, that city is one of the most beautiful cities, one of the most beautiful gems in this country, and we don't know it. But Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, is the number one character. The people and the energy and the spirit of that city is the, yeah. is the number one character on the wire. And Simon and Simon loves that city. I mean, so like he, he still knew, lives there. Born and bred, still there. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. I interviewed yeah, he that guy. He's a smart guy. Yeah, crazy motherfucker. That's my big bro. Yeah, I love. I thought obviously I'm not alone in thinking that was an amazing uh, show, but it's just all the performances were deep, man. You know, and and I just work with Andre. I'm friends with Andre. Uh, Royal. Oh, the Royal? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Come I, on, man. We just did a movie a month ago. Him I know. Him. I, I know what it is. I mean, we stay in contact, man. I know exactly which which, which parts you're talking about. Oh, my God. I can't I remember can't... the name, but I know. Two Leslie, it's called. Is the name. Bingo. Yeah. But uh, but I can't imagine you two getting together. That would I would I would have to sit that one out and just watch. Just to watch you, you guys know, talk. We've been talking about that. Me, him, and Sonia... Yeah, well, Sonia and I have been talking about um, developing Sonya? something. Sonia Song, who played Kima Greggs. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, us three, we three Musketeers, and she and I, we both have full working on a knowledge uh, that you must know now too. Andre Royal was special. Yes, he different. Yeah, he 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 he, he ain't he ain't he far from regular. Like we all cute, or yeah. we all of us is cute, but but Andre Royal was special. And like you gotta, if you know him, then you know what I'm talking about. I, I ain't got time to go into why we know this, but you, you and I know why I say he's special. He'll and, go um, there, man. So, Dre different, bro. Yeah. He says like it, you know. He says with such vernacular and such effortlessness what most of us are thinking, and it's not, it's not tacky, it's not offensive. He just has this way of spitting that shit that's on all of our minds, but none of us have the balls to say. And he does it with such a freedom that you just have to, you'd be like, you just don't, like, what do you, what do you do? It's like, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got, not, there's a, there's a, like a real kind of honest vulnerability there that he speaks from. Perfect, yes. Right? Yes. And and, yes. and you, you just got to be like, what the fuck? You, you can't, you, <laughs> <laughs> you got to love him. You yeah. just got to love him. That's true. You that's have to true. love him, man. Yeah, you know, or you hate him, but you ain't gonna like like him. You right. either gonna love him or you gonna hate him. They if you hate him, you got problems. You got fucking problems, my dude. <laughs> so 
So we've been working on a project yeah. that will um highlight Dre, man. And if I could be a, a we, we, it's funny you said it, because we really, Sonia and I, we talk about that often. We got to create something for our brother because that's how much we feel he's just, he's just, he's just that special to us. Yeah. And I think also like, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird place for him, for him because like he should be in everything, but I don't know how much is coming to him. And I don't know if he's, uh, if he, if people really know how to use him, you know, because if they did, he'd be uh, working. Come on, man. You think you already know what that is. That's about, that's another, that's a whole other conversation that, you know, I'm not going to go down that road right now because, you know, I'm tired of waiting for they, you know, I'm, I'm at the point now where, you know, it's time for me to build build my own table. It's time for us to build our own table. Sure, you know you can start a production company. Uh, that's already done. It's called oh, Free yeah. Dome Productions. Oh, dome good. Peace, free your dome, free free dome productions. And we, we out of here. We know we we housed in the Navy Yard here in Brooklyn, and um um yeah that that ship has sailed, you know. And and this pandemic has has it's humbled us. Yeah, and it has leveled the playing field massively. And if it's ever time to shoot your shot, I believe it's now. Yeah. So, you, you know, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. They don't know what to do with him. They barely know what the fuck to do with me. You, you know what yeah. I mean? So, 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 you know, it's time for us to, um, to, to lift each other up. Now, man. do you ever think about, you ever think about theater anymore? Absolutely. Absolutely. Me and my, and my brother, the same gentleman that introduced me to theater, uh, yeah. Ray Thomas from Philadelphia. Yeah. He and I was talking the other day, man. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're working on this idea about a traveling theater. Like, just huh. take it, you know, yeah, that, you know, we, we, we come with a story and just and travel. The idea of traveling theater and taking it to, like, neighborhoods that normally would not be exposed to a play, you know, and what that would look like. You oh, know, that'd be, you know, yeah. What, we, someday when we, about that. when we can go back outside. We can. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I can't congregate right now, but you know, yeah, we don't. We're definitely talking about that, man. It must have been Talk interesting, like La Mama, because like that's some weird shit sometimes. And you know what? The, we know what's the love about theater too. Um, there's no mistakes. There's no cut and action. You have, we, you know, it forces us to use everything. Yeah, you got to stay in the moment. It forces me to stay in the moment. Like I remember when I first started. When I first started coming around. Because of my theater training, I memorized everybody's lines. In fact, I used to write, I would only write my lines and not memorize them. I would just write them down, but I would memorize your lines, the other actors' lines, because I needed to stay in that moment. And what I did with my my dialogue, I would tell myself, well, Mike, if I understand the world and what what the other characters are saying, where they're coming from, my lines will be common sense. It'll be logic. I don't have to remember remember my line it'll come to me because it's logic oh and then and even um, if like and then once what you, you, so then you know the intention you know bingo like, right bingo and th- so theater taught me that and theater also taught me to because it taught me to know the intention if you switched it up because another thing about andre royal he, he also comes from the theater background yeah. same the same circuit that i was running in Dre was running and we didn't know each other at the time. Yeah. Um, um, we actually did the same play and didn't know each other at the time with Yolanda Ross. We played three different men in her life and she was like marrying with blah blah blah. So so Dre was notorious for switching it up. And the line was like, Yeah, I gotta go home and walk my dog. Dre be like, Yeah, 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 I gotta go feed my cat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you gotta like, you know, you and you and theater taught me. 
no matter how many times we how many nights we do it if i if i mess around and stop listening to you and waiting for you to shut up so i could say my line i'm a, that will that leaves a uh it lead it is i could get tripped with a, an actor like with like like andre who might you know he might throw you a nugget and if you yeah. if you're not in a position to catch it you're gonna trip it'll knock you in the head because you you know you, you're so so Theater taught me those things, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to listen. Got to listen. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. So so you feel better. Well, now, when you did The Wire, were you high? Um, I didn't get high the whole first season of The Wire. Um, I had wanted to make such a good impression on David and Nina and Ed. I decided, you know, I stopped smoking weed. I wasn't getting high, nothing. And ironically, I picked up cigarettes. I said, you know, because I said I can, you know, cigarettes don't get me high. Oof. and It'll, it'll, it'll feed my oral fixation. That's a tough one. I started, man. yeah, but it, I went to clothes, like you know, the, the jar oh, yeah, rooms. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. started there, you know, and so um, the whole first season I didn't get high, and then you know, and then they made me a series regular on season two. Yeah, and um, you know, as we all know, season two was about the docks. So what happened again? Uh, idol mind became my idol mind became the devil's workshop. I'm in, yeah. I'm in Baltimore. I'm already partying, going to clubs and things of that nature, and I have all this time on my hands. I don't have the responsibility that I uh, like. You can't get fucked up because you got to be to work tomorrow. There were like weeks, a week or days, chunks of time in between. So you got to play with chess. Me. And 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 you know, <laughs> it, and I ended up picking up uh, in season two, um, but you know. I, I really, man, the cast of The Wire, Wendell Pierce, Sonia, yeah. Andre, Wendell's um, they, the best. They rally, Wendell, Seth Gilliam, uh, yeah. Dom Lombardozzi, these men and women, man, they um, they would come grab me up. They never let me slip too far between the cracks, man. And um, we became a family on. They became they became my family on season two, I should say, and um, that still holds true to this day. That's beautiful, and uh, yeah, I can't, I can't. There's uh, uh, in terms of influences to have Andre on one side and Wendell on the other, you got the full spectrum, man. You know, you've got, you got the raw honesty and then you got the thinky stuff. You know what I mean? When, then, Wendell is, is like an Oracle. Yeah. You know, a lot of heart know, and a lot of heart and he got a lot of fight in him. Don't let that, don't let those reading glasses and that three piece suit fool you with that necktie. Wendell will fuck you up. And he, he comes, he, that's a new Orleans dude. Through and through, man, and I just and, he, and he's educated, yeah, and he's not afraid, yeah. you know, and and um, you know, like he, I take, he drops jewels, like he he's full of wisdom, like early on in in the career, man. Wendell sat me down, forget what we was talking about, but he said, you know what, Michael, he said this business is about the work you do, the people you meet, and the relationships that you build. And I never forgot that. Yeah. It kept me humble. It kept me focused on what what's important about being in this this land of make believe that we that we live in. Yeah, yeah. It kept me. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of thing that Wendell. But he also he'll be right beside you with the bar throwing him back. He has, you know, you know, a lot of people don't know Wendell. If you look at him and you perceive him a certain way, and <laughs> you, you miss the party. You will miss the party where looking at his suit and tie. <laughs> yeah, I have talked to him. He's a great guy. So when you yeah, did yeah. uh the when you did the Boardwalk Empire, man, how how do you feel about that time travel business? 
You like the, you like going to different time. You know, um, I I was talking to a good friend of mine, and he he kind of um he kind of hit me, you know, pulled my attention to what you just said. Yeah. Um. Yes, the answer first off is yes. I do I do uh love going back in time. It, uh, I decided to use those stories, whether it was Chucky White on Boardwalk Empire or Jack G in um in in Bessie opposite Queen Latifah, or if it was Montrose Freeman in 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 Lovecraft Country, I keep there is something that my friend Gano he was telling me. He said, "Yo, Mike." He said, "Have you noticed the ancestors keep bringing you back, using you to tell their story, and it's not just all over the place." I'm always being asked to go to the 1920s, the era that my father was born in. Huh. And um, uh, my good friend, like I said, he we was talking. He was like, you know, we do, um, we do, you know, I, 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 I work with my ancestors, man. I acknowledge them on a daily basis, and um, he hit me to that just recently. So yes, I do. I also take that the opportunity to go back in time and tell the stories of my ancestors, I, I also wear that just as much with a badge of honor and a huge responsibility to me as well. Is your uh, your folks still around? My father's deceased. My mom's still alive, man. She just made 93 this past December. <laughs> still swinging that cane, trying to knock me out. <laughs> Come here, i knock you out. <laughs> All right, mom. She lived close by? Nah, man, we got her out of out of the city, out of state. You know, we, we um got her out of New York. You know, ninety three. She nice. did her bit. Her mom, yeah, fifty yeah. some odd years in the projects. You know, she um she managed to save her. And and let me go on record, she she bought her own house, cash from that daycare. <laughs> you know, and yeah. um um yeah, man, it took some nudging because she was so comfortable. You know, fifty some almost sixty years in one apartment, in one building, in one community. Wow. And um, that's New York, and, uh, man. Yeah, in Brooklyn, right, yeah. in Vanderveer. And, it, you know, like around 70, in her, on her seven, right after her 75th birthday, man, we we uh, we we, um, we took some nudging. But she said, ah, what the hell? Okay, I'll go. So she's out of state now, but um, she's, she's happy. doing fine. She, she's happy, very right. happy. And you're happy? Yes, I am, man. I'm, I'm grateful. You already yeah. know. You already know. Yeah, yeah. I'm grateful. I ain't got nothing to complain about, man. We here. Yeah, and you're cooking. You got Rachel Ray. Yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah, Rachel Ray. She cut out of miss already for this morning. I, I'll catch her. I'll catch her recipe tomorrow. Have you ever met her? <laughs> yes, actually, I did, man. Um, I, I she interviewed me uh, when I was doing this show called Happen Leonard. Um, and did she know? Did was, she know you were such a big fan? Well, after the show went off, yeah, she found out because I was not about to leave. I said, "There's no." I said, "Yo, Rachel." I said, "I said, hey, yo." I said, "You know, there's no. You know, there's no way I'm leaving this studio." Without you making me a hamburger, <laughs> you got you got to make me the you got to make me the special the special Rachel Ray burger because I don't you know with the with the tra- the three different kinds of meats I need yeah. that in my life. <laughs> she looked at me and she she chuckled. She's like this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but she went she went to the set kitchen because there's a real kitchen on that set. Yeah, like, yeah. that's all real. Yeah. She went in the back and. 20 minutes later, man, I had a I had an authentic, you know, Rachel Ray cheeseburger. <laughs> that I, 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 I could have died and went to heaven. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I'm glad that happened for you. <laughs> yeah, All right, yeah. man. It was good talking to you. And I love the movie. I love your work. Long. And uh, you know, this is like going to a meeting. I feel better. 
Thank you, Mark. I, same here, brother. Thank you, man. Okay, pal. Thank Take you. it easy. Yeah, right, man. Bye. That's it. That's our show. The movie is Body Brokers. And that's available now to buy or rent on on-demand platforms like iTunes, Prime Video, and more. Let's play some guitar. Boomer lives, monkey and La Fonda and cat angels everywhere. 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 everywhere. 